So we're talking about soil health tests and how should we use them. Uh, this is is a, is a topic of, I would say, fairly great interest uh, over the past five to maybe ten years uh, ago. I uh, did a little bit of research here, and it looks like the concept of soil health testing was birthed um, around 2006 um, uh, in that era. Uh, so we're talking over 10 years ago. And I know for myself, when I first heard about them, I thought this is just exactly what I mean, This what we need. This is going to really prove uh, what cover crops can do for the soil. And uh, since that time, there have been numerous soil health tests that have hit the market and are out there and available. I'm going to run through some of them. Uh, and then I've done um, over a 1,000 of them here in my farm just to try to get a handle on what they can and cannot do. So I'm just going to say in the outset here that there are some people who are very excited and very confident in what they can do. But there's also some people who are very antagonistic and basically say they're not calibrated and you can't depend on them. Uh, and it comes from uh, a wide sector of the agriculture community in that. Uh, so there, there definitely is not a unified perspective on the value of them. Uh, and that's partly why I wanted to uh, you do this topic, because I definitely have a perspective, and I uh, just want to share it with you as a way to help help you and, and also collectively help us all be able to uh, use these for the, the best uh, aspects that we can. I also want to say on the outset that I'm going to share some of the concerns I have and some of the things that you uh, probably cannot expect them to do, but I'm probably, I'll put myself in one of the biggest cheerleaders uh, that to, to make them uh, be more reliable and more consistent because I think that's what we uh, definitely need in the future moving on because they can really be helpful to eventually uh, helping in our management, particularly with uh, fertility. So... Uh, I was first introduced to the soil health test by Jill Clapperton, who was at my farm in 2011. Uh, we had a field day, uh, our annual field day at that time, and she brought these little strips that uh, were collect she collected soil. All the, the she was there the day before the field day, collected soil, put the strip in the soil, and then the next day looked at the strip and compared it to. Uh, a comparison that kind of indicated uh, a color change. And so that was essentially the precursor to the Solvita test, which probably most of you heard of the Solvita test. Uh, that basically measures uh, the CO2 release over a 24-hour period from the soil. And then that is used then to just give a baseline of uh, – what the microbial activity is and so forth in the soil at that time. So uh, I have been familiar with these tests um, and for, for the last couple of years and, and certainly have uh, tried them and seen how that they work in our farm. So that's a little bit of the history uh, for me personally. 
So I'm going to go through some of the more popular ones here. And I already mentioned the Solvita. Uh, it's sometimes they call it the Solvita one-day CO2, which is basically uh, a measurement of uh, probably one of the more important numbers in the context of soil health reports. So this is a parts per million number that come out of this, and it's basically the amount of CO2 released in the 24-hour period from the soil microbes. So it's based on microbes, microbe activity. And uh, this is through a process that the soil is dried, then re-wetted, and then that's just an indication of my, microbial activity. So uh, the reason this is important, because there is a relationship to the amount of CO2 released, can, can be somewhat of an indicator as to what the fertility could be in the soil at any given time. So that's a Solvita test, um, primarily developed by uh, Woods End Lab up in Maine. Uh, they uh, have uh, a man by the name of Will Britton, who's fairly well known in the soil health community. He's been he's been working at this for decades, and uh, I would have to say I read some of his literature back in the eighties, and 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 I would say he was a man ahead of his time as a researcher, and now some of his work is finally bearing fruit. So. That's a little background on the Savita test. Uh, most of us have heard of the Haney test, uh, which is uh, Rick Haney is a USDA a researcher based in Texas, and this has been his passion over the last 10 or 15 years of uh, trying to understand soil health and so forth. So he developed a test that an integral part of his test is the Savita test. So use that as a basis there. But he takes it a step further and measures some other parameters. Uh, he uses a water extractable organic carbon number he gets out of that. And the reason it's, it's uh, important to know about the water extractable is it's supposed to more, more like mimic what a plant will actually see or what a plant can actually experience in, in a real-world situation. That's the whole idea behind it. So instead of using uh, chemistry, to figure these things out, like has been done in the past, they're using water uh, to look at organic carbon and organic nitrogen and so forth. But he also adds in the NPK chemical analysis component, just to use that as kind of a background. And then uh, what he does in his Haney test, what's become to know, be known as a Haney test, is take those different parameters there, and there's a calculation and a formula that equals a soil health score. So you send a sample in, they run it through these different things here, and they come up with a soil health score. And it's basically on a scale of 1 to 50, and uh, basically a, a number over 7 is is starting to get fairly good. If it's below 7, it's pretty poor quality soil from a soil health standpoint. So uh, I, I will say that the Solvita component is weighted heavily in this formula, so the microbial uh, presence in the soil is is definitely one of the uh, primary factors in understanding his test. Another one is the Cornell soil test, and this has probably been out in the public a little bit uh, sooner, 2006, I believe, is when it was released. And the Cornell soil health test was from Cornell. Uh, University of New York, and uh, they they look at a lot of different parameters, and I've listed them here. You can read them as I talk, uh, but uh, they look at it's 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 more 
I'm going to say a more complex, but then again, you could argue you get a little bit more information out of it. So um, they have this all well outlined and what to do. Uh, primarily, researchers have been using this. It is cumbersome for farmers. Uh, farmers just don't typically have the time, the effort uh, needed to get all these different parameters. Um, uh, some farmers do. If you're really, uh, you know, interested in knowing this, uh, there's some farmers do it. But I, I would say that the Cornell one is uh, more comprehensive. But then again, it takes a little more time and effort to get the resulting numbers. And there's also add-ins there. There's like four or five other things that you can get tested and add it to it. And uh, and and so uh, they, that's, that's just one thing that uh, uh, one of the, of the more popular uh, tests. So uh, Dan Towery just asked what the cost is. Uh, I'll just back up for the uh, Haney test. It was in a 50 to $70 a test range. I know there is an attempt to get some cost share through the NRCS for it. I do not know where that's at right now. Uh, for a while there, uh, he was doing, uh, anyone associated with research, he was, he was doing them for free basically just to kind of get up to speed with what get, get, get the word out, so to speak, but also to try to better understand it and his predictability and all. The Cornell soil health test, I do not know the cost of that one. Um, so I don't know uh, the answer to that. Um, now, there's there's another one here. It's uh, a little less popular. Come on a little bit later. It's called the um, phospholipid fatty acids, or PLFA. I'm used to just saying PLFA, so I had to hesitate to look at that front word there. Uh, so the PLFA test is... Um, it seems to be promoted mostly by Ward Laboratories out in Nebraska. Ray Ward and his lab has been, I would call them, a leading lab in the country that had, that that gets it, the soil health component. They've been, uh, I know that they have been uh, giving recommendations specifically for no-till farmers and cover crop farmers for years now, and they have a whole array of uh, of soil tests that they will have. They, they they don't have the Cornell one, to my knowledge, but they do have the Haney, the Slavita, the PLFA. So basically, the PLFA has to do more specifically with the 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 critters in the soil, the microbiological uh, component, all the bacterial groups, Entomyces, abuscular, mycorrhizal fungi, Rhizobia, protozoa, and 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 all the all the microbiology within the soil. So it's, but you get to understand here that it's it's a snapshot. That's a key word here. It's a snapshot of microorganism community structure and abundance at the time of sampling. So um, that's key, especially with all these tests I've mentioned have a strong biological component. Um, and uh, just to summarize here. With the PLFA, PLFA is not so much to make fertility recommendations. It's more to compare management systems uh, for farmers who would like to the comfort of knowing that they use cover crops for a couple years versus a field that isn't. Is there a difference? It should show up in a test like this. So as far as using the PLFA for specific management decisions, 
Um, I, w- I would say at this point it's not going to be a huge component in that. Um, so I'll just uh, wrap up my uh, uh, talk about the, the different ones here by saying that there are other tests that I'm beginning to hear about, and I did not list them because some of them I'm not sure how far along they are yet or not. If they're if they're you know have the merit of being listed, but uh, most of them are are new. They take a different angle, or they're variants of improvements of what's already out there. So um, so it's it's something that is definitely increasing, and I'm really happy to to see this. Uh, but I would say it's it's we're not going to get real serious tools here anytime soon as far as specific recommendations when it comes to fertility inputs. In other words, we all would agree that our basic soil tests that we have used, number one, I'll give some perspective, our basic soil tests that we have used haven't really changed much over the last 50 or 60 years. So, you know, there's definitely room for improvement there. But that being said, I think we'd all agree that those soil tests are not an exact science, uh, but they are a good indicator. Um, so I would put uh, the way I would rank our soil tests, I'm going to call them the traditional soil tests that measure uh, phosphorus, uh, potassium, calcium, and some of the micros, I would put them at their value in the context of a three-day weather forecast, okay? So in three days, forecasting is pretty decent. You generally know what's going to happen in three days. You can manage for the three-day weather forecast, and we do it all the time. Does it always work out? No, but it does most of the time. And if you want to put another layer of perception here, I would say 80-85% of the time a three-day weather forecast or 80%, 85% of the time our typical cover crop, our typical uh, analysis for, for a soil test, chemical analysis, about 80-85% of the time you could probably say that they're consistent. Now I'm going to, when I wrap up here, I'm going to tell you what my perspective is on these soil health tests and where they're at currently. So uh, I'll leave you hanging there a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to share some of my own data that we took on our farm. And uh, obviously, I can't show you, I I believe it was almost 1,500 tests that we did over a couple-year period. And I'll just say that most all of those tests were the Haney test. Uh, So I'll just say that, and if, in case I forget it, I am going to be doing the Cornell test this year, working with another project um, from another group. But um, so what you're seeing here is with uh, Haney tests. So I have the title of these next slides uh, titled "Managing What You Measure," and ultimately that is the whole point here uh, to be able to manage what we measure. So are these measurements good enough? to influence our management. That's what it's all coming to be. So I'm going to show you real data. This is actual data, including the all the replication. So I just want to show you this here. This is this could be, this for those of you who understand research and agriculture, this could be published data here. It's a randomized block design, 
And again, I'm not going to go over it all. You can see the treatments on the on the one side. That's not the point here. I just want to show you that these da- this is what the data was. Now, this was corn. So corn was the crop we were looking at, and we were looking at several different uh, cover crops with a control and with different mixes of cover crop species. So uh, each block, the length was 100 feet, and the measurements were taken of two rows of corn. So that, that equates to about one one hundredth of an acre. So yeah, I know that's fairly small, but uh, when you when you're doing hundreds of these plots, I don't have a big enough farm to make my plots a lot bigger. So keep this all in mind uh, that it is relatively small, but it's not like a ten foot uh, plot either. So a hundred feet by uh, two rows. So just to give you that understanding of of what what is behind these numbers that I'm going to share with you then. So uh, just to show you uh, how, what the end result is here, and uh, I'm not going to go over this. I just want to show you this is the kind of numbers we got out of that. This is just like a snapshot of like one-tenth of it or less. So um, uh, uh, there's there's a whole lot of data there, and there's a lot of stuff there. I'm not going to go into that. But, boy, is it ever fascinating when you can look at numbers like this, especially if this is what really you're interested in. So I just want to show you the breadth of what we did here in looking into uh, if we could use soil health tests uh, on our farm. So now to some of the actual results. And I'm gonna, you're going to have to stick with me here uh, because I can't use all the animations that I want to as I would live because uh, the internet's too slow and I don't want to be have little things jerking around. But um, but uh, I am going to uh, well I'm not going to use my mouse because it's it's too slow. So let's look over at the far left hand side. Uh, you might wonder what the word indie is. That happens to be the name of a mix of annual ryegrass, crimson clover, and radish. Okay, so that's a mix. That's a brand name. Of a mix, so that was the cover crop here. Then you look at the next line in. That's the nitrogen rate that was applied. Uh, so uh, toward the bottom set is three of plots of zero nitrogen. The 75 pounds had 75 pounds at planting, two by two. The 150 had 75 at planting, and then 75 uh, broadcast dry combination of uh, urea and uh, protected urea and ammonium sulfate. So that's a little bit of background in, in that. And then you see the plot IDs next. They're scattered all over the place, so good data. So we took tests in these fields three times. The spring test was immediately after planting, before crop emergence. The summer test was right at side dress time, would have been late June, early July, and the fall was after harvest. So backing up here a little bit, um, this number that you see in here under the spring, Solvita, I kind of kept my column smaller there, so it's a Solvita one-day CO2 burst. You see that number there on top, it says 50.03. That's parts per million of the CO2 measurement. The higher the number, the better it is. Or, as this is color-coded, green color or dark green, is good, red is low. So that you can get a quick glance there. So I want to go over a few things here that I think are interesting to to point out. 
So let's look at spring solvita on the uh, the 150 rates. There's three of them, three different plots. Number one is 50, uh, the second one's 26, and the other one's 29. Now, when I look at that from a researcher standpoint, that is um, uh, a little bit not that's not as consistent as I like to see. So that means that we didn't find consistency in our measurements there. Now, of course, when you're doing research, uh, the consistency is important. So um, let's just I just want to make note of that. Look at the next set down of 75 pounds. It's just 39.79, and the other two below it. We see that bottom one there, and that rate is a 45. And then you look at the zeros, uh, that's a little lower. Now, let's just think back a little bit bigger picture here. Essentially, all those nine numbers under spring were exactly the same because it was right at planting. So they, were, they essentially, at that moment, had zero nitrogen. My concern with this is you see a low of 24.2 and a high of 50.03. That's highly variable coming out of the exact same field. Uh, same field history and everything. There's, there's, there's no background legacy stuff here that we're aware of that would cause this. So that's a little, that's, that's a little not what I was hoping for. Um, so, uh, with sending these tests in, of course, they're sent in blind or sent in coded. Um, so I'm just putting it out there. This is real numbers that we saw. Uh, then when we took the data in the summer and the fall, even though in the fall it did narrow up, if you would look at uh, look at that a little bit, uh, after there was some fertilizer applied, uh, half rate and full rate, it did narrow up. But let's look now over to the extreme right on the yields. Uh, so the top three there is the 150 pounds of nitrogen. When I see numbers like that, 195, 185, 199, that's good data. I really like to see that uh, because uh, it's consistent. In the context of what the measurements is here, I like that. That's good. Uh, you come down to the next set, the next three, spreads out a little bit. Um, and then you get to the bottom, and of course there was zero nitrogen applied, so you can see there's not, uh, we didn't get the yield there. And those numbers are a little bit wide, uh, there, uh, for whatever reason, uh, but, but they are. So I just want to say that, um, admittedly, admittedly I was a little disappointed with some of the lack of consistency, but when we put essentially uh, a, a decent rate of nitrogen. I mean, I could have put more on, but I didn't want to overapply here. We got good yields when we put on the nitrogen, as we would expect. So I feel like that kind of uh, verified what we would expect. So um, now I want to uh, move on to the next, uh, the next slide here that shows you, again, this is simply additional data of the very same research. So let's look at, again, the variability was a low of 9 and a high of 52. And again, when this was done in the spring, this was essentially zero nitrogen was applied. So why do we have that disparity there? Again, look over at the top right with the yields of the, this is triticale planted late here. 
The yields are very, very close. That's good data. I love that data. Uh, it's very close. When you see the reps close, that means your, your, your probability of repeatability is much higher. So, and then this is something that I'm just using this comparison here. It's something that I would expect when you put a decent amount of nitrogen on, you're going to get consistent yields. Uh, and I'm trying to use this as a basis for saying I don't understand why we had the variability uh, with our tests here. So, um, so one thing that is interesting though, I will say, uh, is the look at the 9.74 that circled and then look at the yield. That was the lowest in that plot, and sure enough, it yielded the lowest, which there is a correlation here. I'm, I'm implying this. I've been implying this, but there's a correlation to the amount of CO2 burst and the amount of nitrogen needed to grow corn. So so there, that was that was a nice, uh, I guess you would say, a, a nice result in, in that. But when we look at another one down here, let's go down to the triticale late zero, and go into the spring, we had a high high rating there, 47, but we but it really it really tanked on us. Um, that was the lowest yield of those set of plots. So had I used 47 as a management tool, I probably would have only applied 75 pounds of nitrogen. Um, so in this specific plot. Um, it didn't work out. It yielded a lot less. Uh, so I'm just, again, showing you real data here that I found. And then uh, finally here on the very bottom, the lowest testing plot was 15 parts per million, but that yielded almost equal to the highest in those plots with no nitrogen. I don't like that inconsistency uh, with that. So I'm just going to, Say that in all the testing I did, I found that the 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 test was about accurate about sixty percent of the time, and that's with like I said over a thousand different uh, apps or uh, reps uh, or a thousand different uh, tests. So uh, that to me was interesting, uh, not what I had hoped for. Now, I need to mention this was 2013, and since 2013, I would like to say they have gotten better, but I haven't been consistently finding research by others that have said they have been a lot better. I hear anecdotal evidence that it is they are better from some people uh, that are indeed using them, and they are getting good yields. Uh, we probably all heard the stories out there. But I've heard just as many stories who says it has not come through. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use soil health tests because I think they are our future. I just want to make sure we understand here that we don't use them right away for exclusively for our nutrient management decisions on applying extra fertility and so forth. So how should we use soil health tests? Here's a few things. I think if you're interested in this, to to use one of the ones I mentioned or new one that's coming out there, use them as a baseline. Uh, don't test all 40 of your fields uh, just to see where you're at unless you have money to blow. Uh, but uh, use them as a baseline. Where where are you at? Just to get familiar with them. And also to compare management practices. 
Um, one of the things that convinced me to try the soil health test, because I wasn't the first one to try them, is I had heard uh, someone who was a uh, crop consultant, and they said that they could pick out every field that had manure applied. It was fairly consistent with that. And um, so I thought, well, that's good. That's a good sign. So uh, this is just one thing that you can use the soil health test for. But I will say that you really want to start small if you're using soil health tests to manage for fertility. Because how do your soils respond? And I emphasize there, your soils, either on your farm or the farms that you consult for, how do they respond um, to these uh to, to, to fertility. There is so many variables uh, involved in this. And the soil health tests have, have, uh, are, are decent. Don't get me wrong. But to be able to account for all those variables is, is one thing that is, um, is tough to do. Now, I, I should have mentioned earlier, we're dealing with biology here, okay? So one of the things that can happen is people don't take care of their soil health tests. When they take their tests, if you would subject that test into the hot sun, you could kill a lot of things that are in there that could impact the results of that test. So we were told to put the test in a cooler immediately, and we did that. So, you know, even though you see these numbers here that I showed you, um, we drug a cooler around the field and, and packed it full of all these tests to, so that immediately after they were pulled, they were cooled, they were in the dark, and they were sent off in a package that uh, was insulated so it wouldn't get extremely hot because this is in the summer. That's what we were concerned about. So, um, and, uh, so that's just, it's just something to be aware of. So I used my analogy previously that I feel that our current Traditional soil testing is about as good as a three-day weather forecast. I'm saying currently these soil health tests are about like a seven-day weather forecast. Um, so it, it shows you what's coming up. It gives you a general direction, but um, not not consistent enough to make major uh, nutrient management decisions. Uh, so the other thing, too, in, in this aspect here is – Measuring your soil's health over time, because I, I firmly believe that these tests are going to get better and more consistent. So I want to be careful that I'm not too negative here. I just want to give my reality. And I will say that there are, I would have to say, numerous concerns out there where people who have done research and have not got the results. And then there's about an equal amount of people who have done this and have got great results that they think are very good. So I just want to put that reality, that's to me the reality where soil health testing is uh, right now. But I want to uh, end up my talk here with what I think maybe the most soil, the most important soil health test is. And I'm going to say it's you and your shovel. So after all that, uh, you going out there and visibly looking at your soil, counting earthworms, seeing the aggregate stability, um, what does your field look like as a cover crop or that doesn't? To me, that is the most important soil health test you can do. And yeah, you got to get a little educated on what you're looking for. Um, I'll just give you a quick example. 
uh, last uh, last week on Saturday, we were we were racing to uh, get done planted corn before the next rain was coming in. We had a quarter inch of rain overnight on on Friday, and and the, the soil was perfect before that. We had a quarter inch rain. More rain was moving in. We wanted to finish, and my son made a comment. Wow, it's just so nice. We we have these cover crops here. And long-term no-till because planting was not an issue and the soil was just so nice. Yeah, it was damp. But uh, I said, yeah, it looks like that chocolate cake that we talk about. Uh, you know, so, and again, that's just an observation there. That's just, that's that's my soil health test observation. So, you and your shovel is probably the most important soil health test out there. Um, so, um uh, I would uh, like to open it up now for some comments, and I'm sure some of you probably uh, have experienced some very positive results. I'd like to hear about them. I'd like to hear about those who have not had the positive results. So um, I got everybody's mic on now. So who would who would have a comment or an observation, or you want to challenge me? You think I'm too negative on it? That's fine. I understand. Uh, or whatever. So, uh, who wants to comment on, uh, on the soil health or, or you have a question about these soil health tests? Well, <clears throat> I'll jump in then. Go ahead, Scott. Scott. Yeah. Um, well, to me, it's nice seeing some data. I'm, I'm definitely a data person. So it's nice to see some, the data and see you go through it mm -hmm. because, uh, I understand that with the variability when you, like there are statistical measures for yes. how variable your, your plots are, but when you look at those numbers, that's the thing. They're yep. up and down, and mm -hmm. and then when you had the good soil test or the good sylvita and the mm -hmm. the low yield and the low sylvita and the high yield, then mm -hmm. you know you yep. want to be careful with them. Right. Um, now I guess a, a one one that one test that I see a lot on social media is the soil your undies <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah. You, I should have, oh, shoot, I should have brought that in there. I, I never thought of that, Scott. That's that's good. That's a good one there. I, that's the people's thing. I've never, I've never tried. I've never tried or anything, but I, I see it as a social media thing. So, or, you know, it's a big thing to put out there. So, Well, I got to tell you, I, I that's great. I can't believe I forgot that. Uh, when I was in France speaking, <laughs> they get, – get this. Can you imagine this? They ceremoniously gave me a pair of underwear. And they they took a picture of me holding everything just for the for the soil health soil your undies movement. So oh yeah, I I gotta try that too. I've never done it here in my own farm, but uh, I, that's a good one. Uh, we should probably do a whole seminar on that sometime. Um, I could, uh, Steve. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Dan. Yeah. Uh, one thing's with the undies test. I, I'm I'm all for you know equality. So. <laughs> You know, I also do panties. Well, okay. I'll take it a step further. That is actually what I was given in France, just to make it worse. <laughs> and I, they took pictures of me, and I immediately texted my wife and said, Sherry, if you see a picture of me, I'm just telling you I was given this, and, and you need to know that. So I wanted her to know it before she heard it from somewhere else. So, yes, <laughs> point well taken, Dan. <laughs> yes, yes. It gets people's attention. It sure does. Oh, my. I see uh, Dan there. Dan Perkins says, I would second the management system's value of the PFLA test. It confirms to a farmer that they are going in the right direction. And I certainly agree with that. Um, greater education tool to a farmer wanting to dig deeper into soil organisms. 
Yeah, it's well well said there, Dan. Um, and and can I follow up on yeah, that? I mean, ahead. part of it is is the 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 PLFA is is a is a very good test, but mm-hmm. part of it is if if we're been in a till system, I mean, it's we don't have the diversity. Mm-hmm. It's primarily bacteria that's right. in the soil. Well, and and then, and then that could prove a point to farmers because sometimes for some farmers that's all they need. For some farmers, they could care less. It's all about yield, nothing else. But farmers who care about the soil health, if they can actually see a test that compares that, that's going to make them think twice, and they may feel a little guilty when they're out there tilling the soil, uh, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and sometimes guilt is a good motivator. I'm not saying it is always, but uh, yeah, but a good point. But Dan, while you're on here, don't aren't you're working with a couple different things, aren't you? You want to tell us about? I wouldn't mind hearing your well, perspective yeah. on this and what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I've. I've Work quite a bit with with all of these, and I, I guess inconsistency is is the summary of it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to focus in on what are what are the really key ones, and mm-hmm. and one of them is the active organic matter portion. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good indicator, and and from that you can. Uh, you know, look at at you know uh, a little bit of a stretch, but you know there is a correlation there to uh, available nitrogen, uh, aggregate stability, and microbial biomass because it's all tied in together. Sure. And part of this on <clears throat> on the you know when you look at a field and like in your plot, Steve, that was you're looking at. Three different nitrogen rates. Yep. Well, I mean, we don't know what kind of additional variability is out there. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. And and you know, a biological system, temperature and moisture are huge drivers. Sure. And and so. Like if you're using the cover crops and you've got more moisture, then you've got more biological activity, and that's going to influence yep. your CO2 burst yep. and and other things. Yeah. So what I'm I'm trying to do with the active organic matter, I want to see just how how robust it is, mm-hmm. and I just just started this spring. Yep. But I want to see if, for example, can we if a person is just starting out in cover crops. Yeah. One year, two year. Yeah. Can we measure a difference? Right. Yep. And, and that was that was my motivation when I first heard about them. Of course, at that time, I was selling cover crop seeds, and I'm like, wow, if we can just show an instant result, this is going to be huge. And it's not quite that. It's not quite there yet. <clears throat> so, um so Dan is asking here, any comments on how often to pull these soil health tests? Uh, he asked, Haney every year, PL, PFLA every four years. My reaction is, it depends how much money you have. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think if you want to monitor a field, uh, you know, it, it does, there is a reality of cost here because they're not cheap. Um, so every year certainly would be uh, would be ideal, but it's probably not practical, at least on a, a larger scale. So I, it's kind of the same answer on uh, on uh, just the traditional soil tests that we've taken. I, I've gone 
to every three years. That seems to be uh, maybe an average that's out there. Um, so anyway, I do want to get to some other people here, though. I want to hear from anybody who has used soil health tests, that has experience with them in your comments. Is there anyone else on here that has actually used soil health tests and, and what their comments are? Yeah, I've, I've used them a couple of times and had, had pretty good success. Okay. Tell us a little bit more uh, about that, Cody. Just on a, it's just been on a, about a 10 acre field, uh, about the last five years, kind of interesting. I've uh, done replicated, I guess, samples, mm-hmm. all grid grid sampled, mm-hmm. and uh, we had two two sets of uh, samples pulled, one soil health, one standard, and I've kind of mm-hmm. kept track of them. Sure. Tried to do spring and fall, and uh, I've actually followed the recommendations from the soil health test uh, once for spelt okay. and uh, once for soybeans and had really good success. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, yep. For the rest of us, Cody's from North Central Ohio, just to, just to get that straight. Um, well, that's good to hear, uh, Cody. I, I know it's out there. I know there's success stories out there because I've heard about them. The only wild card I've noticed is okay. uh, the organic matter levels in the soil health test compared to uh, a standard soil health test. It's far different. Okay. Uh, seems to be quite a bit more on the soil health test versus – uh, Standard test, just in my limited experience. Well, I know there's different ways to, to test organic matter, so there's probably an answer behind that somewhere uh, on that parameter. Uh, others, anyone else on here that I think uh, maybe Bob was going to say something? Bob, have you done some soil health tests? Yes, Steve. I made one set of it um, two years ago in my third year of cover cropping, uh-huh. and I compared the cover crop compared to no cover crop. Yeah. And in just the three years, we could see a slight difference. Okay. That's the only experience we've had with them. Which test was that? Cornell. I figured because you're from western New York. Yeah, that's good. Now, I'm I'm in line here to do some pretty extensive testing with Cornell tests this year. Uh, as, as you may have expected, I've kind of pulled back on this testing a little bit, waiting for them to get more uh, consistent and so forth. Um, like I said, I'm their biggest cheerleader to get it working right, but – kind of excited about this coming year uh, working with uh, the Cornell one just to see um, what that is. And, and you know, honestly, uh, I'm a farmer like a lot of you guys are, and and even though I'm very, very interested in this, uh, for me to spend the time and effort to do the Cornell test is, is a stretch. That's even for me and the cost, which I'm not exactly sure what the, the actual cost is to a, to a you know, farmer. So, you know, that's why I like to collaborate with people who will come in and do the work, and I'll get the numbers from it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what how things look on uh, my farm this year because I've, I've been done very limited on, on any other tests other than the Haney tests. Dan? Yeah, it's it's that uh, Perkins has got up there that, yeah, it's it's like $120. Bucks, uh, oh. And... You know, I was with the Soil Health Partnership there yeah. for about a year and a half, and we did a lot of the the Cornell, and it was again these are fairly good soils for the most part, mm-hmm. and they always on the chemical side they came out just super, mm-hmm. and but 
it kind of fell apart on the mm-hmm. biological side. I mean, wow. with cover crops, no cover crops. And mm-hmm. part of it is, I think, there's a lot of fields that were new to cover crops, and that mm-hmm. could have been part of it. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it, again, saw yep. very inconsistent results, mm-hmm. uh, with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to go back, though, to that organic matter. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's some things in there that, you know, when you send it for a standard soil lab, they're doing the combustion. Okay. And, yep. and the depth of your sample is oh, yeah. critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it gotta be consistent. Uh, <clears throat> so if you shallow it up a little bit, that's yep. a good way to increase your organic matter levels. <laughs> yes. Uh, you happen to get a little residue in the soil sample. Yeah. That, that can increase your organic matter levels. Uh, so again, this is part of working with the organic matter tests that the, I, I, you know, the passive part is, is, is not going anywhere unless it's lost, lost with erosion. Right. And it's the active portion is what we can, we can see the changes. So Um, does it, well, I don't, what I want to do is couple, would get Haney's new, Mm -hmm. the CO2 where he has the, the computer chip mm-hmm. uh, on the lid you put mm-hmm. in the mason jar. And so I'm going to cut, look at that organic, yeah. active organic matter and, yep. and, and the CO2 burst mm-hmm. with the, with the, you know, hooked to a laptop so you can see the chart. Right. Of yeah. How the CO2 is changing. Yep. Yep. I've had some issues with, with that, with, you know, depending on your timing, have you taken the sample sure. and, and like vertical tillage tool and mm-hmm. we started with air and it got, they got higher, much higher burst mm-hmm. than, than the no-till. Well, oh, it makes sense. But it was, yes, but it was, a, was it a, a short-term burst yep. and then, yep, <laughs> versus yep. slow and gradual. Right, right. No, all good, all good perspectives. Uh, Dan just said here too, by the way, Dan, thanks for the cost and the Cornell test, a hundred to 120 bucks. I did not know it was that expensive. Um, that's, that's fairly limiting, uh, for most farmers, that's for sure. Uh, Dan also mentioned that, uh, there's different, just mentioned there's different ways to check, uh, organic matter. Uh, so I'll just pass that along. You have to ask your lab to find out what they do. Uh, other people that have done soil health tests, um, that have experience with them, want to give some comments or weigh in here. Uh, I just wanted, and this Don, I was wondering maybe the two Dans can pitch in a little bit too, but I've always heard the Cornell test is not correlated very well to Midwestern soils, and I'm not sure exactly why. So you, Dan said he was seeing some differences. I wondered if, is that because of the, because of the correlation to Indiana soils, or is, what's the situation with that? Well, I, this, this, Dan Towery, um, part of it is, again, Western New York, mm-hmm. we have a lot of dairy farms and a lot of organic farms. Mm-hmm. These, these, my understanding is they're, these were he- heavily used, uh, to calibrate the Cornell test. Mm-hmm. And with the Soil Health Partnership, anyway, it was, they decided that you're going to look at the calibration for the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And was it the soil's difference? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've actually got 
you know, I very grossly say mm-hmm. better soils in the Midwest than they do in Western New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're looking at just the topsoil yeah. and but is it the management? Is it the manure application on a regular basis? Is yeah. it the crop rotation that's used? Right. The cover crops that are used. Did did that skew the results higher? And that we think that it is. It, obviously, it's a combination of things. So, yeah. but no, I, there's some, there's so many variables, so many variables, yes. uh, and and that the hope was that this would eliminate a lot of those variables. That was the hope. Uh, I would say that was my hope anyway, and I'm still hopeful, uh, and I'm glad to hear that some people have has worked out well, um, but also we're also hearing on this call here that there's inconsistency, but also there's places where it works. So I just want to mention here, we'll, you can ask any cover crop question you want. Uh, we could go beyond our topic, but next, next week I, uh, I'm going to talk about cover cropping or double cropping. After small grains. Now, some areas of the country, this doesn't really apply. There's no opportunity for double crop, but a large part of the country it is. And typically, you'll plant, uh, you know, cover crops or plant double crop soybeans after small grains. So, I'm going to discuss the pros and cons and how to think about that maybe long term. So, that's next week. And I'm just going to say for those of you who are regular here, I'm going to have to go to Thursday next year, next week, because I'm, I'm on jury duty. Now, I hope I don't have to be in there very long, but if I'm there next Tuesday, I won't be able to do this show from the courthouse. So uh, I'm going to do next week from uh, on Thursday the 24th, though. Just want to let, let you know that. So <clears throat> other questions that you might have about this topic or any other cover crop question at all? Steve, it's Wayne here. If yeah. Out of this group, if there was one test that everybody would agree on to use, you know, year over year, what would it be? Okay, anyone want to weigh in on that? Which test is your favorite? Which one do you want? Which one do you like? Not sure if we're going to get a response to that, Wayne, or not. But uh, anyone have a, a feeling on that? Which which one are you most comfortable with? Uh, or you, you've, you've heard about most consistency? I'm not hearing any response. Uh, so I'm not sure. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. I think this is, is the jury's still out. Yeah, it's, it's, uh again, you have a look at the cost. You, get, you know, are we asking too much? We know that the biology changes slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want I want to be able to take like the the soil pentrometer, stick it in the soil, and it 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 does all kinds of magic things, and it gives me us <laughs> one to ten. It, yeah. The needle moves if if it's a healthy soil or not, and that's mm-hmm. obviously being fictitious, but it's mm-hmm. you know it's because it's all relative. The soils are all different, yep. and it's 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 you know being the how can we make it the best it can be? Right. But there are limitations. Uh, yeah. Uh, so like the 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 Cornell test we talked about recalibrating. Well, we we nearly need to take a look at the by soil types and maybe it needs to be calibrated. We lump soils, you know, depend, you know, is it forested or prairie mm-hmm. origin? Maybe those need to be separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all kinds of, of you know northern part with the climate versus the southern part, like in Illinois, for example, huge differences. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. well, well, some, Dan, someplace we need to draw some lines. Dan Perkins has weighed in here in the chat. He's 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 casting his vote for PFLA for bio, biology tracking and for Haney for actual nutrient management each year. So thank you, Dan, for being brave enough to to, to get out there on the line. So that's that's good. Um, I want to. I just thought of something else here that uh, some of you may have saw. There's an email came around that I got from the from the Soil Health Institute. They are asking for where there's long-term research sites available testing cover crops versus none, or soil health practices versus not as many. They're asking for those sites available because they are want to help uh, essentially find soil health testing in those plots to see uh, part of the idea is to get some more consistency. So I will mention that the Soil Health Institute is addressing this issue uh, of of, uh, soil health testing and trying to get it more consistent. So um, there there is hope out there. I want to make sure that I'm abundantly clear with everybody here that uh, I really believe that we're going to we're gonna we're gonna move to more consistency on this to be able to use it more as a management tool. So, um, so that's just an, another item to add. So, Steve, one one that I, I was investigating and and didn't pursue it, but actually it was uh, doing soil DNA analysis. <laughs> I've heard about so, that. Uh, and it, it you know thousand dollars a sample. Okay. And and we know how complex the human DNA is. Right. Well, guess what, folks? Mm-hmm. The soil DNA is more complex than wow. the human. Wow. Well. And so they can do all kinds of data that, yeah. again, interpreting it, that it's it's we're <clears throat> we're years years away. Well, I th- yeah. I think you and all of us here that are that are uh, in the cover crop promotion business have good job security. I don't think it's going to be all figured out very soon. Uh, so any other comments from anybody? I see Herb's on, Brad, Michael Brown, Avery, Amanda, anybody? Joy, I see Joy's on. Do you have any comments, Joy? Or anybody else? Questions? No, I don't, Steve, but thank you. Okay. I might see you on Friday. I'm going to stop by with that tour group that's coming through, so. Just oh yeah! Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Tour group from Argentina. So yes, brush up on your Spanish. <laughs> uh, Will do. Uh, anyone else? Uh, comments, questions, anything for uh, for our discussion today? Anything at all involved with cover crops? Well, thanks again for uh, joining today. I really appreciate it. Again, next week it's going to be Thursday instead of Tuesday, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Appreciate your support and all, and thanks for, uh, for thanks for joining with us today. <laughs>